also it's like the last two games of the season when Bron didn't play was like that game that like Horton Tucker had like 40 one night and then Malink Malik went off and I'm just like where was this help when LeBron was over here carrying 50 point performances and everyone else was getting 8 points a game I know we had it just in general in the NBA there were some weird performances at the end of the season with guys like just dropping 40 like OB yeah, Toppin dropped insane. 40 points of there course was... it was meaningless for all the games but like Horton Tucker like, like remember I think it was last year I don't think it was this season but remember when like Lowry was in trade rumors and like the Lakers said the one guy they wouldn't give up was THT Yep. I'm like, God, we look like a joke for that now. <laughs> He's like, it's just, a, just a weird contract in general, just like a weird player in general with like the longest arms. So like you'd expect him to be a good defender, but he can't move in space and he can't shoot. And I'm like <laughs> now he's on an untradeable contract for I know, somehow. I, know. Yeah. I can't believe I was so bad. We gave up Caruso though. Like Caruso was tough. Not just like, you know, how he's a good player this year, but like he was a good player for us. Like Le- I feel like LeBron loved Caruso. I was shocked they let him go. And supposedly like he said that like they offered it like the whatever the um the Bulls offered him, he went back to the Lakers and said that he would take it if they offered them the same thing and they wouldn't match it. And I'm like, that's wild to me. Yeah, Caruso was like the heart and soul of the team when LeBron couldn't be that. Like him Actually, and Rondo. Like yeah, I mean, at the beginning of those fourth quarters when the Lakers were going on their run, just like that two man group when LeBron got to rest for a few minutes and they just like were absolute pests. I yeah, Rondo's another big one. See, that's why I thought Westbrook would bring. I totally thought that Westbrook would be the type that like. I mean, listen, I'm not gonna blame Westbrook for everything like a lot of people do, but I thought that Westbrook would be huge when LeBron wasn't on the court, kind of like Rondo was, obviously to a different degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I don't know, nothing. He's ever a disaster. It was a disaster. Yeah, he's not remotely the player he used to be, and that's a problem for a guy like him when so much depends on that. Like, he hasn't had that, like, Derrick Rose time to, like, really reflect because of injuries or something like that, where, like, Rose had a lot of time off. You know, he probably thought about his game a lot. Westbrook has just been, like, playing with his head down the whole time, and it just hasn't been going well, so. See, but I don't have a problem with his gameplay if he's not getting baited into shots. That's the big thing for me. Like, mm-hmm. I have no problem if he's shooting his elbow pull-ups, right, and driving. Like, there's yeah. no problem. It's because he takes, like, six threes a game or whatever it is. Like, mm-hmm. that's the problem. The fact that teams want him to shoot it and he's still willing to shoot it. That That's the biggest thing. Like, that that can't happen. Like, And I look back at when the Lakers played the Rockets in the play-in game and how they were guarding him and they were just – like, literally, the guy guarding Westbrook was in the paint waiting for him to drive and he was shooting threes. And I'm like, we played this team. And this guy and guarded him this way and thought it would be a good idea to trade for him to go with LeBron James? Yep. What the heck? <laughs> Man. I mean, every single time that Russell Westbrook has been traded, you have someone saying, this time, I think we can teach him to just get rid of those three-pointers, and you never have been able to do it. So. He still takes six, six a game and makes one of them. Yeah. It's, it's never going to change. All right. Um. It's unsurprising that we immediately jumped into talking about this disappointment of the Lakers season. We're meant to talk about the playoffs, and the Lakers uh, missed the play-in game. They weren't even in the top 10 teams in the Western Conference this year. So, uh, yeah, let's introduce the pod. Uh, Welcome back to the StatCast with your hosts, Harrison Freeman, Sam Greenman, and our guest, Arik Taiki. Arik, can you tell everyone why you're on this podcast? Uh, I believe it was because I won the March Madness bracket. Um... You know, after not following college basketball all season, you know, made some good picks, uh, made all the right picks, and uh, clearly made my way into uh, the podcast. 
Well, you see, yeah. you you didn't win. It just nobody else won. So that's valid. That's valid. I I agree. My uh my pick was not correct. I, I think even after watching Gonzaga in the first two rounds, I was like, God, did I really pick this team to win at all? Um. <laughs> uh, I mean, there, there were some disappointments. I will say the game they got eliminated, I thought that there were a lot of questionable calls on Chet, but um, mm-hmm, no, mm-hmm. so be it, so be it. Uh, but I don't know. I've, I've had my luck with the, the bracket, I would say, the last three years that I've uh, really made one. What are, what's your secret to uh, making picks that everyone can learn from? secret about making picks i mean like obviously i i compare a lot about the strength of schedule like i'm very big i don't care so much about your record as opposed to who you beat uh right if you beat like one really good team but it's like a fluke and you have one good team that you upset fine i don't care so much about you but even if you had like four losses that were like five point games to top teams that that means a lot more so i Mm -hmm. care a lot about strength of schedule when i look into the picks uh as well as i always tend to pick the uh the defensive team over the offensive team um if you have like a really good defense versus a really good offense because from personal experience like if it's a close game i think the defender defensive team just fares better uh if it's close obviously it's a blowout like the offense could just go insane and like blow a team out but like i think anytime there's a close game you give an edge to the defensive minded team yeah those are some good tips for everyone who's uh filling out brackets next year or Whenever you end up thinking about college basketball, and remember, you don't have to think about college basketball that much before you fill it on the first place, right? <laughs> that, that is true. Well, good luck to everyone out there competing for second place next year. So yeah, I mean, yeah, and then there's me who like watched a bunch of Gonzaga games this year, and every single time that I watched them, I was like, I don't like the how this team's offense looks a lot of the time. I don't trust like their players to be consistent. All their best players from last year are gone. And Chet Holmgren is not like an amazing college player. And yet I think I still picked him to like to get to the final four or something like that, just because, you know, oh, it's Gonzaga. So sometimes uh, it's better to not have seen the team uh, and then just, I don't know, or maybe to uh, remember my original yeah. pick was Kansas. Yeah, it was. Oh, well, you would have won. We're, we're, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, I, I was I, Kansas for the longest time <laughs> and I just like, I don't know why I changed. I convinced See, him to change for uh, to have San Diego State beat KU in the round of 32, and then SDSU <laughs> lost in the round of 64. That's so funny. I uh, see. I I I had seen a little bit of Gonzaga, and like, not I mm-hmm. haven't watched a full Gonzaga game. I'd seen a few of the highlights, and I was like, even when I watched them throughout the season, I'm like, that's somewhat disappointing. Like, like, yeah, you get a highlight here or there. I didn't think that they would live up to the hype. I didn't think that they were that much of a powerhouse that they could like survive. You know, being one all year, and then like. I assume they'd be upset. I just thought they were kind of like the safest bet. Mm-hmm. And I really liked Kansas to go along with them, but I couldn't pick Kansas because of uh, my best friend's a big Kansas guy, Yoni Kazowski. So I was not about <laughs> to let him, you know, win or anything. Uh, so I'm like, listen, it's, it's win-win. As long as Kansas doesn't win, I'm happy. And, uh, you know, it worked out. So KU was a good team all year, a talented team. And even though UT did beat them in their first matchup and nearly beat them in the second one, whatever they were, they were they they were a deserving winner. All right, we're gonna get into NBA play, playoff talk, but first, Milo Hamilton. Swinging, lining it to left. It's gone. It's gone. It's gone. Chris Park.
All right, and welcome back to the podcast. So we are going to talk about... Sam has been, I think, champing at the bit to talk about this series. And I think it's been absolutely the best game that we have seen. Like, one of the best playoff games in a while. I heard it was actually the Celtics' first home buzzer beater in their history in the playoffs. So let's talk about Celtics' nets. Sam, why don't you start us off? Everything was just looking really great for the Celtics through, I would say, three quarters, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Amazingly, the Celtics were this year's best third quarter team after probably a decade of being the worst three quarter third quarter team. I would we would always see them just absolutely crap the bed in the third quarter and give up whatever lead at halftime they had. But we won the race to 69. We were up by 15 and then Kyrie flipped everybody off and they went on a run. And I was really not excited to see how maybe the Kyrie flip-off would be the turning point. Yeah, I mean, Arik, Kyrie Irving has suddenly, like, transformed into one of the best shooters in the NBA. Like, it just relatively quickly, he is, like, it's, like, Steph and it's Kyrie uh, from the three-point from three point land. What do you think about what he has turned into, like, since his Cleveland days? Uh, so, I'm slightly biased against Kyrie Irving, personally. <laughs> I know. Um but as biased as I am and as much as I dislike the man, I don't think that he's transformed into this crazy three-point shooter. I think he's always been one of the top guys in the league. I've thought for the past three or four years or ever since you know 2016 even that Kyrie Irving's one of the most talented players we've ever seen from all three levels between the dribbling, the driving, the shooting. I think he's the best offhand finisher in NBA history, which is a very hot take. Mm-hmm. But like he 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 just looks ambidextrous when he plays basketball. Like kissing it off the glass, lefty, righty, fading, going off the left foot with the left hand. It's ridiculous. Uh, and I mean to see the shooting complimenting it is you know it's it's really nice. Uh, I you know just uh, I'm just not a big fan of the personality that you get behind him. But uh, I think he's always been one of the top shooters personally. Yeah, and I think that. Uh... He's the kind of guy who the Celtics, obviously, you know, he was on the Celtics a couple of years ago and that ended badly. But he's the kind of guy who's, I mean, I guess he's not an X factor in the series because he's like obviously a superstar. But this Celtics team, and Sam, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but I think the Celtics team is really built to stop Kevin Durant. What I was seeing like in the first couple of quarters is the Celtics, like they had a real like simple game plan that you've seen work against KD before in the past and that the Celtics have a lot of the big wings. They have a lot of big guys who were just hitting KD with as many like off-ball picks, basically, as you can get. And so they were just trying to get KD kind of always, you know, bounced around, annoyed, looking over his shoulder, not like not knowing where the next like almost blindside hit was going to be coming from. And so uh, KD did not shoot well in this game. KD did not perform all that well generally. He was 9 of 24 with only 23 points. He was a minus 13 as a matter of fact, that's right. The Nets won the non-KD minutes by, by uh, I believe, uh, 14 points or 12 points. I'm not sure which one it is. I think 14 points. Um, this looks like Kyrie's team, and it has looked like it for the past month or two. Here's why I disagree with that. I think the Celtics' philosophy is, okay, it's kind of hard to stop Kevin Durant anywhere between 25 and 16 feet. Mm-hmm. So if we can just defend him like any other regular human being from those Rangers and then clamp down on the inside, he's going to have to earn his points. So, yeah, it looks like Jason Tatum is the one who's doing a lot of the guarding of KD. 
And uh, he's been really impressive to me, both like on the offensive end and the defensive end, looking kind of like a superstar. And Sam, is it? Do you think that Marcus Smart like has a chance to stop Kyrie, or is it almost like uh, Kyrie is going to be an unstoppable player, and the Celtics are basically going to be crossing their fingers, hoping that his shots don't go in, because they always, always look like they're about to go in. I mean, it's basically an unstoppable force versus an immovable object. You have the defensive player of the year versus top five one-on-one player in history. history. Um, a lot of in history things with Kyrie being thrown around, but like they don't seem that that bad. They don't, don't seem like that crazy, that irrational. They're not. I mean, he's one-on-one. I would take him in top five, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, maybe. So, Sam, here, Arik, here's my question. You So we all saw like the Celtics sort of taper off a little bit. I mean, they were better rested than the Nets were. They were obviously running very well, but you're not going to like have a week in between games anymore. So do you think that the Celtics are going to be able to keep up this like constant pressure that they seem to have that did again sort of trail off when they started uh, when the Nets kind of went on their run? So I think the Celtics are a very defensive minded team. I think that they have four absolute studs on defense. I don't think Jason Tatum gets nearly as much credit as he deserves as we all saw the great job he did on Kevin Durant and how his length really bothered him. Obviously, Mm -hmm. you got Marcus Smart. I think Jalen Brown's another big one. And God help the Nets if they get Robin Williams back. That guy, Robert Williams back. That guy is just a problem. I think that picture you sent me, I had him him as like fourth in defensive – efficiency or defensive rating. Yeah, he's like been that, but... one of the best defense defenders in the league this year on any position, basically. And I mean, they, they did that to the Nets without him. So, like, again, I'm not saying that the series is over by any means if they get, you know, him back. But, you know, what, one of the guys I think is getting overlooked to him the first game was Claxton. He had, you know, 13 points with, like, a plus 10, I think it was, you know. But, you know, fine, it's one game sample. But, you know, Drummond... It looked like the Celtics weren't even concerned about Drummond, and they were just blitzing. Whoever was guarding Drummond was the guy who was blitzing Kyrie or KD. Uh, and Claxton actually made an offensive difference. So, I yeah, think I totally, Williams, yeah, yeah. If Williams comes back, I think they could definitely keep up the defensive efficiency. I think it's the type of thing that they've been conditioned for, and at this point, they're ready to go with. Yeah, I totally agree with you on like uh, Drummond and Claxton. I don't know if Andre Drummond should be playing like any more minutes in this series. Really, I mean. Claxton played like thirty. Yeah, Claxton can play 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 the the big five if they like basically anytime they need an actual like center. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I I think that's a much better game plan for them. Um, And honestly, I think that Celtics. uh, I'm not fully sure, but if if I recall, I think Brown was out a couple of the last few weeks. I think he missed a few games and stuff. Um, which might have benefited them because he played in the last few games of the season, I know, and ramped up his uh, conditioning and stuff again. But mm-hmm. I think that rest before you go into the playoffs, not too much rest, obviously, where you're rusty, but like some rest helps almost when you're going into a series like this that's going to be so defensively demanding. Yeah. And I think, oh, go ahead. sorry, I, I just wanted to, I just wanted to throw in that I think Daniel Tice could be an actual X factor in the series because I, his okay, yeah. defensive ability is a little bit underrated and he can stretch the floor at his height which is i something that i don't know if the nets can kind of guard i don't think they have a guy to guard that so are you sort of seeing it as like a two man two big men with like him and horford on the floor at the same time or are you seeing as like uh maybe Derek white's and then horford's on the bench with daniel tice see i i i like for crunch for closing time i would like horford uh Mm -hmm. out there um and not tice yeah, Horford played like 41 and a half minutes in the game. 
So he clearly, like, Eric, have you seen, like, Al Horford do that in, I don't know, like, three or four years? He looks like he did back when, like, the Celtics were actually, you know, making a lot of noise a long time ago. Al Horford just sort of had a rejuvenation game. He had 20 and 15. He had six offensive rebounds, which I believe led the game by a good amount. And this he's the X factor, in my opinion, because coming into this season, was Al Horford even on the Celtics at the beginning of the season? I think like maybe they signed him in the offseason or something like that. No, but, I think he was on the yeah. team last year. But uh, I, I, yeah, that I mean, it's shocking to me. Even I think he was on OKC last year. Was he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, he um, was part of the. Wasn't he part of the Kemba Chris Paul or not? Not Chris Paul. He was part of some Kemba trade, I think. Right. Maybe. Oh, maybe he went in the Kemba trade. Gotcha. Something. Oh, what, okay. Yeah, I, I yeah. think about Horford from like that stint he had in Boston from like 2017 to 2019. I totally forgot that he went to Philly and OKC in between. Yeah, that's just weird. Um, but yeah, I I think that he's shockingly an X factor because even having watched the game, I would have said that that was a quiet 20 and 15 game. Like, I mean, he he played well defensively for a guy who's considered so Im- immobile. Mm-hmm. Um, but the rebounding thing, I mean, what if, what really concerns me, if I'm being honest looking at the series is as great as Boston played in that game, KD played horrible. Yes. They out-rebounded Boston uh, in Boston's advantage by plus 14. It was 43 to 29. They had more assists than the Nets, which is fine, can be expected. The Nets are really a two-man show. But like to have all that considered and win by one, it's concerning. Like You yeah. guys played great, but you know, you're going to get 20 and 15 from Al every night? I don't know, you know. Also, yeah, Brooklyn exactly. is second to last in the, among playoff teams in defensive rebound percentage. Yeah, that's not, that's not good. Uh, and I don't know if that's is that a contributor to Claxton or to Drummond because Drummond's known for his rebounding, but the he guy can't five. do good offense. Drummond had yeah. one offensive rebound, and Claxton had two offensive rebounds. And then Kyrie had one, and Goran Dragic had one. Goran Dragic actually had a good game. If uh, in underrated yeah, guys did. who are old, and Dragic was like chilling in Slovenia or whatever for most of this season, and suddenly he comes back and like makes a genuine impact where he's like, yeah. you know, getting guys the ball and uh, getting to the, the rim. I Best was very surprised by that. Game. Yeah. yeah. He, he dominated. <laughs> Shocking. But again, like, that's all stuff. You look at the net, like I'm looking at the Nets box score right now. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's only, the only thing you could say was positive was, you know, Drogic and Kyrie and Drogic, you could say a question mark. Kyrie, he, he might do that. He might put up 30 a night, but you're going to need someone else to step up. Who's going to be that other guy? Curry? You, could be that guy, you know, but we didn't see it. Patty Mills, sometimes, some nights, you know, Bruce Brown, maybe once a series, but like, we, they're going to need some help besides Kyrie and KD because as great as Kyrie is, I think the Celtics game plan, as you guys said, is very clear. They're going to make it so we're going to do everything we can to take out KD or do, you know, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. And Kyrie could get 40. But is it going to be enough to beat us if Kyrie gets 40? Because if KD is completely taken out, which I'm not saying zero points, but if we take him out and make it tough, we'll let Kyrie beat us. We're not going to let KD beat us. And I think that's the right mentality because if you let KD beat you, he will beat you. Yeah. The tough thing with KD is that like he's not you know an amazing passer. And so uh, like let's say KD is getting double teamed or something like that. He might be tall enough to you know see the open man. But like... Kyrie is kind of the only open man you're hoping you're going to get Claxton rolling. And so, like, I think you like mentioned his Claxton as part of an X factor. I think Claxton is such an interesting, like, person who could have a major impact on the series. And, like, I see two sides of it. The one side, the bad side, is that, like, 
you hope he's not just another Ben Simmons like in crunch time because he shot one for five on three free throws tonight on Sunday. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if Claxton is going to shoot like that from the line and then the, the Celtics can basically, you know, try to keep someone uh, on uh, Kyrie on KD and maybe a second guy on one of the two of them. And then like Claxton is rolling for the rim. And then you're basically just, you know, hitting him making like you're using Tice and Horford and Grant Williams and trying to make sure that uh, he doesn't, you know, score baskets and gets forced to the line. And that's bad. But what Claxton can do is he is like a dynamic kind of guy. Like he can dribble the ball a little bit. He can move around to the rim. And so like, so I mean, Arik, think of it like, Every time KD gets bumped like that or something like that, the Nets basically don't have that much going on. They play a ton of iso ball. Steve Nash, you know, played on the seven seconds or less Suns. Do you think that there's some kind of adjustions, uh, adjustments that they can make? Like uh, if KD is getting hit like that so that, you know, they can get more guys open because they have a lot of like small guys, sure, but who are very good shooters like... Um, Trodrick can probably hit shots. Seth Curry obviously can hit a bunch of shots. Patty Mills can hit shots. Cam Thomas probably not going to play, but like he could hit shots. Uh, Kessler Edwards probably is not going to be shooting the ball, but they could be doing a lot of stuff. What kind of like adju- offensive adjustments are you making if you're the Nets? Because I almost feel like against this Boston team, they do need to make some. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough from a coaching perspective, I think, because the biggest thing for me then, the reason why I think it's so hard for Nash to make these adjustments is, you know, at this point in the season, you know, this team's identity, you know, I know they've had some trades and stuff, but this team's identity has been exactly what you said all year. It's been iso ball with KD and Kyrie, and I know that they've missed yeah. a lot of games and stuff like that. So there's, like, lacking chemistry, not necessarily between the two of them, but between members of the team who they necessarily trust. You know, you don't have a ton of experience mm-hmm. with Curry and stuff like that. But to implement a system like that, like, you're fully right. I mean, they they could do, you know, really well if they used, you know, Claxton as a Draymond Green type, and then you got KD, Kyrie, Curry, and, you know, Patty Mills running around in, like, a Warrior-style offense or something like that. But it, it's tough to implement that, I think, mid-series or anything like mm-hmm. that. Um, I'd love to see a lot more off-ball screens for Curry. Uh, I think that if you are going to continue playing Drummond, or even if you switch to Claxton, even if you switch to like Blake Griffin, have him off-ball screening for Curry and Patty Mills, and then either rolling because obviously guys like Griffin and Claxton have the height or length and jumping, mm-hmm. or you you know Griffin could stretch the floor. So I, I'd love to see some adjustments with a lot more off-ball screening. That's I think the easiest way, even for non-playmakers, as you said, like KD, not necessarily the best passer. You know, I think that's the easiest way to see it is when he's squared up facing up against the guy and you see that off-ball screen, that guy coming down. Um, but right now, it's just way too much iso ball and, you know, a couple pick and rolls here and there. But, that you know, KD's not looking to facilitate off a of pick and roll because most of the guys who are picking aren't going to do much. You know, Drummond's not going to do anything off a of pick and roll. Yeah. I wonder, if, like, maybe they could run, like, some more, like, try to, they always have, and I know why it works, is you've always got, like, KD and Kyrie up top. It makes it harder to double team any one of them. But maybe, like, you almost try to put KD a little bit more in the post. And then try to like maybe run some split actions with like him and Seth Curry, where they basically run at each other and uh, try to set picks for each other. And like KD just turning and firing, like he could turn and fire from 18 feet, he can turn and fire from 25 feet. It doesn't really matter. And like Seth Curry can, if he's got like open space, can actually get to the rim faster than you think. And like Boston's defenders are big, but like they're not the fastest guys or the longest guys outside of maybe Derek White. I don't know, Sam, what are you scared of most as a Celtics fan? 
And what are I you mean, like? I'm, I'm yeah. just scared of Kevin Durant like dropping <laughs> forty for the next five games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What 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 makes you the most confident though with the Celtics team? We have the best defense in the league to you know potentially stop it. We saw in game in game one that we have the capability to you know limit them as much as we can. I think yeah. if we can limit one of the two of Kyrie and Kyrie, what Kyrie <laughs> Kyrie and KD, then think that gives us the best shot to win rather than trying to stop both of them because mm-hmm. we're not going to be able to stop both of them. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting idea that you brought up, uh, Chaim, about uh, KD, though, using him as this off-ball screener and stuff like that because, um, you know, as someone who plays a lot of basketball myself too, I, I think that, you know, one of the biggest aspects if you're, you know, the top player on a team or one of the top players is you're such a decoy too. Um, so if you're screening, you know, off ball for a guy like Curry, like obviously they're not saying that they're not worried about Curry, but there's going to be that slight is- instance where you're like, no, 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 we don't want KD getting the ball. Mm-hmm. And even that split second a lot of times is enough to get those secondary guys, Curry and Mills, open for shots. So I actually do like that idea a lot. Yeah. Oh, Patty Mills, I hadn't even considered him. Like he is the perfect guy to do this kind of stuff with because exactly. he, he, for a guy as old as he is, he's been consistently getting to the rim this year and shooting better than you think, drawing more fouls than you think. All right. Now, the reason that I was getting that idea is because I was have been watching a ton of Golden State versus um, Denver. And Arik, you mentioned this as a series that you really wanted to talk about. Why? Why have you been paying so much attention to this series? I think that it had a lot of potential going in. Um, you know, I don't think that, you know, as as great as Golden State has played, they've slacked off a little bit in the second half of the season, partially due to the Curry injury, but definitely since mm-hmm. the All-Star break. And Draymond. Uh, yeah, and Draymond. Um, and, and Denver, you know, as great as they've been, you know, as great as Jokic has been, I should say. You know, they're not deserving of a six seed, but at the same time, they're missing some key guys. But... As much as I would love for this to be a great series, I, I am very much worried with what I've seen in the first two games so far. I think that, you know, they got to get Jokic some level of help. I mean, if you consider the fact that Aaron Gordon's supposed to be the second best player on this team with Murray out, <laughs> he is not living up to anything. <laughs> I mean, no. what's going on? Um, I mean, this guy is on a major contract and is doing absolutely nothing. Uh, I mean, who's the second leading scorer in the series? Will Barton maybe uh, like it's just it's it's not Monty fair. Monty I mean, Morris is if you have the, that guy? the best sixth man in NBA history, Steph Curry over here. Like I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do about that. <laughs> this guy scored 34 in 20 minutes off the bench. I mean, they could deactivate it for the series at this point, and they look like they're fine. I mean, Jordan Poole looks like a stud. I'll tell you that. Oh my god. This man is making a case for himself, and he seems to have a personal vendetta about not being in the most improved player conversation. Yeah. Sam, as a former Michigan man, who Jordan Poole is pretty close to your heart, isn't he? He's very close to my heart. He beat the Cougars. Man, what a game that was. Incredible um, shot. He's been clutch forever. But not many people like to talk about the fact that he was the league leader in free throw percentage, you know, and he went from 12 a game to 19 a game. And basically everything improved and he's getting starting minutes and yeah, his minutes basically have doubled and his production's basically doubled. And defensively, it's like it's serviceable, I feel. Yeah. He's um, bigger than you think. His arms are longer than you think they are. He's only six four, but yes, his arms are I think he's six eight, six nine wingspan. And yeah, so let's talk about the three guard lineup that they've been rolling out. Like so I mean 
I don't know about you guys, but to me, like, it seemed like a pretty, you know, basic, normal series. Obviously, now you want to see more Steph Curry in it. And then in, like, the middle of the second quarter in game two, they roll out. I don't, I don't know. What are we calling it? I saw the three-guard problem lineup for Golden State, which uh, is uh, Steph, Clay, Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, and Draymond Green. And, oh, my goodness, it has looked so phenomenal. I think they're, like... I don't know what number they are exactly, but there's something like a plus 30 in like 11 minutes or something along those lines. They have not played the lineup that much, but it has been unstoppable. And it's like every- which lineup I can look that up right now. It's a pool, Curry, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond. But are we, doesn't Draymond just look at least like in those times, well, just generally against Jokic, like he is absolutely prime Draymond doing everything that there is to do besides shooting the ball. Oh, he's been unbelievable on the defensive end for sure. Uh, I actually saw this interesting stat on Draymond that he shoots close, like above like 30, 35%, like something above that, uh, like margin onwards. So like he turns it, he takes his game up another level for the playoffs. Uh, and I mean, his defense on Jokic has been great. I mean, Jokic is going to get what Jokic does, but he seems to really be bothering him with the physicality down there. And I agree, this lineup just looks absolutely insane. I mean, there's just nothing you can do. And if Jordan Poole is going to continue playing at the level he's playing, I don't know what you do as a defensive team. Like, I couldn't, I don't know what to tell the other coach to do because if you have to guard Jordan Poole like this, that means you mm-hmm. have to ISO Curry and Thompson. And you want to be sending a second guy and blitz a double something. But right. if Jordan Poole is, and, you know, and Wiggins are going to continue to ball out, you, you, you can't said that second guy <laughs> i don't think this lineup has ever played together this five, no, man, five just, man in line. Playoffs. just in the playoffs really just in the playoffs like oh, uh, yeah, draymond was out for so long yeah Kerr has just broken it out and yeah the reason it's looked so good i mean like to, tell me if you think i'm wrong God, Jordan, they're net they're a net plus 126 yes <laughs> it's unbelievable but Jordan Poole has basically been like Steph Curry. That's the reason that this lineup has looked so good because like he is drawing the kind of attention that Steph draws. And so Steph has been playing like in an off ball role a lot of the time with Jordan Poole. Like, you know, he's bringing the ball up some, but Draymond is bringing the ball up some. Jordan Poole is bringing the ball up some. Clay isn't really. But uh, oh my God. And so what you're having is like, you don't know what to do if you're uh, Denver because. Not only is it like this insane lineup, but it is perfectly built to exploit Denver. Because let's first, let's just think about their defense. There's no one on that defense. Maybe Jeff Green's arms are a bit long. Maybe Will Barton's like a decent defender and whatnot. But like, holy cow, they are just eating Jokic alive. And so what they're doing is like, I don't know, Draymond is basically doing like a, a high pick and roll near like uh like near the at the right side, maybe like tw- uh twenty eight feet from the hoop. Uh, and Jokic obviously has been on Draymond. And so Jokic has like, and it's with Steph or with Jordan Poole or something like that. And basically for Jokic, he's like, oh, do I drop back where Draymond can just, yeah, where Draymond <laughs> can just continue going and running and uh, maybe he'll break for the basket. Cause you know, Draymond could, could catch the ball and drive. Draymond could, uh, catch the ball and make an extra pass. Draymond could set another screen on the other shooter who's in the corner or do you get up high and then set, Steph can just totally slip by you? Or do you like try to cheat a little bit and like do a little bit? And then uh, I saw this one great play where Steph just basically like crossed him over and dove right to the hoop, totally untouched. The paint, there's nobody in the paint. This series like looks like it's from the future 
because you have the best big man in the NBA, maybe at the very least, the guy who's going to an MVP. And the paint is totally wide open when the Warriors run this, and there's nothing that uh, Denver can really do against it. It's unbelievable. Aaron Gordon is seems like he's totally lost whenever you put him into a little bit of off-ball defense. So I have just been kind of blown away by it. I don't know. I mean, Clay looks healthy, and Arik. So also, Dr- I've been talking about like you talk about Draymond on defense. Like, have you been seeing what he's been doing this series? Talk a little bit more about that. I, I think he brings. I mean, we've always known Draymond like this, but I think that that not only the uh, the the style of his defensive play, but he also brings that persona to it too that I think just gets in people's head. That Pat Beverly type thing that regardless of how, whether he's, you know, I mean, Pat Beverly's always having a great defensive night, so is Draymond Green. But either way, he t- it takes it a step further when you have the mental aspect of it and the verbal aspect that's going into it too. You know, he, he gets excited for anything. It could be anything. It could be something that he didn't even, he wasn't even involved in. You know, when someone else is locking someone up, Draymond mm-hmm. Green is coming over and hyping that guy up, and that's hyping the whole team <laughs> up. That's hyping the whole arena up. You know, Curry could dribble the ball. He doesn't have to make a shot. He could dribble the ball, and Draymond Green's over there getting hyped up about it. So, like, <laughs> I, I think when you have someone like that on a team, it just brings such an energy to an arena, to a bench. You know, it gives you the feeling yeah. that no matter how much you're down, you can always do better. No matter how much you're up, you can always do better and hold that lead type thing. Like, he holds everyone accountable, I think, but he also just brings such a vibe to the team, not just not just defensively. Even if he's not doing it, we see how much he can contributes on the offensive end with the screens that we talked about with the obviously the passing to the you know the clays the curries the pools the wiggins whoever he's always setting guys up and i think that, that that's just such a irreplaceable aspect of draymond green's game yeah he plays so hard and like the, in my opinion the reason it's working so well on defense is because like guys like steph curry are basically playing deny 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 like because Basically, the only plan that Denver really has on offense is to get uh, Jokic away from Draymond Green. Get him, like, ISO'd against someone like Steph or Jordan Poole or Clay or something like that. Every single time that that happens, Steph Curry, basically, like, the guy is trying to get, you know, get the ball to Jokic after Jokic sets the pick. Steph is just, like, in his face. He's jumping. He's doing whatever he can. Jordan Poole's doing the same kind of stuff just so that the guy won't be able to see Jokic. Because unlike Jokic, Every nobody else on this team can pass worth a damn. Like they can't really do anything at all. And so Jokic is sort of like totally marooned out here. There's no one else to generate offense. There's no one else really to pass the ball. Some guys can like drive a little bit. Monty Morris can drive a little bit. Aaron Gordon is like an athletic freak. But I mean, you're not really having like five four pick and rolls with like Aaron Green, Aaron Gordon, and uh, Jokic, where Jokic, where Green, Gordon is just like skying to the rim, like some like Clint Capella or something like that. I think that they have no shot in this series. I think that like all Golden State has to do is run out their fun lineup, their death lineup, their new death lineup, and there's nothing, no one to stop them. There's no Jamal Murray walking through that door. Michael Porter Jr. is not walking through that door. Wow, I completely forgot that Jamal is even on that team. Yeah, I think Denver is toast, and like just. It's unbelievable how quickly Golden State has just been like, oh, yeah, here's this thing we had in our back pocket all season. And now that we're all healthy, we can break it out. So they're looking phenomenal. And like as good as, you know, say the Nets have been have looked and as good as especially uh, uh, Boston has looked. I'm a little worried if I'm literally anyone else in the playoffs about how well this Golden State lineup is doing. And don't forget, they are don't count them out as, you know, 
very possible like a title contending team. All right, anything else on this series, or should we move to a big surprise where finally the underdog is winning the series? <laughs> I Minnesota? just to close what you said about the Golden State as, as well as they're playing. I, I don't think anyone should count them out, but honestly, I think that Golden State should be probably the favorite to come out of the West uh, behind Phoenix. Maybe I mm-hmm. put them second right now. I mean, I, Phoenix is the only team that I think has a chance of keeping up with this rotation, with the you know the defense, with the same offensive scoring power. So in my mind, you know, Golden State. I know they lost a three seed to Memphis towards the end of the year, but I, I think that a lot of people have considered them the you know the two seed all year. Yeah, and so one team that has looked a little bit more like, oh, yeah, we expected to be here almost. Like what you would expect Golden State to be like, not playing maybe as hot as they should be playing. Why don't you guys talk about Memphis versus Minnesota a little bit? Man, let's let's talk about, oh, God. Oh, man. Let's talk about how Anthony Edwards and Patrick Beverly are becoming household names again. Yeah. For entirely different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we seem to have a breakout star of these playoffs and that everyone is learning about. And it is not John Morant. It's Anthony Edwards. Arik, what have you seen from like Anthony Edwards that makes you think, oh, this guy, the comp that I have heard and like you might hate me for this. You might hate. The, I'm not going to say who said it, but uh, a smaller LeBron James, at least. In terms of ability to get to the basket, I mean, it's, it's a very hot take. Um, <laughs> listen, I mean, he, it's ha- a hot he, take. Ha- he has those he has those broad shoulders and that big body. So I understand that that saying. I think that it's similar. And uh, if I had to pick like a size guy as comparison, almost like you know how uh, Drew Holiday always is bullying his way to the basket, and they always talk- every time they every time I watch a Bucks game, they're talking mm-hmm. about those wide shoulders that he has. Yeah. Uh, He's wide Raymond shoulders. Felton wide shoulders. Yeah. So I mean, okay, you know, I don't hate the comparison. I just think it's weird because while LeBron could do it on anyone, Anthony Edwards does it to guards who guard him. Obviously, he's a guard. So, right. it, it, but I understand the comparison among the guards. I would say, mm-hmm. uh, and I do want to point out what you said. I don't want to make it sound like John Rand's doing poorly. I mean, he did have thirty-two, eight, and four in Game One. Mm-hmm. The, the guy is still a stud, and he was, you know, in the MVP conversation for much he of the year. He got to line twenty times, or he had twenty free throws. Today yeah, shot I mean, that's because they can't stop fouling the man. I mean, <laughs> if you can't stop him, you know, foul it, you know, but whatever. No, obviously, like that that contributed in a large part. Uh, he had a horrible plus minus. Uh, you know, four turnovers isn't great, you know, but he is the point guard. But um, I don't know. I, I think that I, I'm trying not to overreact to this game um, because it, it was. You know, one game, you don't want to freak out from one game type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there cause for concern anytime a seven beats a two seed? I think a little bit, especially among a young team like the Memphis Grizzlies. But let's keep in mind that this is also a young team in the uh, – or not young team with the Minnesota Timberwolves, but at least an uh, inexperienced team, right? The only guy mm-hmm. on that team with legitimate playoff experience is really Patrick Beverly. You know, Towns, one time. Edwards, none. Russell, maybe one time. I don't know. But, like, none of these teams necessarily have playoff experience. So I think I I, I put a lot of this series on the coaching. All right. Hold, hold on a second. Pablo Prigioni is their associate head coach. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who? Wait, who? Minnesota? Minnesota. He and Pat Bev used to be teammates on the Rockets. Never forget. But – uh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, talk- like, I think it's going to come down to the coaching a lot. And uh, I think that uh, Memphis, you know, they have a coach of the year candidate over there. And um, 
I, again, I, I don't know enough about Minnesota's uh, head coach, but I know I saw him in the play-in game when they were playing the Clippers, and I'm like, who is this guy? Chris Finch. Uh, yeah, and, and I, I think that, you know, again, I'm not just going to say that one coach necessarily has an advantage. I know Memphis's coach is also young. Uh, he hasn't been in the job for too long. But I think that much of this game, compared to the other games that we talked about, like the Celtics game where it's hard to make the coaching adjustments, I think that this is going to come down to coaching adjustments and who can keep their guys motivated. You know, Can Memphis's coach come in there and say, okay, we did not do what we needed to do. Let's forget about it. Let's play our game of basketball with a better team and convince his team to come out there as such. Or are these young guns in Minnesota going to, you know, ride this momentum? Because, I mean, you know, Patrick Beverly is going to keep them, uh, you know, <laughs> feeling it. You know, he's going to be jumping on tables and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you on the coaching. And, like, I mean, there is only so much that, like, John Morant can do when he is being backed down by Anthony Edwards. And only so much he can do when he is trying to back down Anthony Edwards. Because, you know, Anthony Edwards is a big guy. He's a strong guy. He's a super athletic guy. But, like, I, I might be misremembering this, but I think that Taylor Jenkins – uh, the coach uh, for Memphis. I think he came from Milwaukee or at the very least. He did. Like, 2019. Yes. Yeah. So he's been reminding me a little bit of Mike Budenholzer. And Eric, it's very interesting you mentioned the coaching because once again, we're talking about a big man who maybe shouldn't be on the floor. And that's Steven Adams. Steven Adams played 24 minutes in this game. He shot the ball zero times. He got to the uh, foul line zero times and he had only three rebounds. Meanwhile, he had four fouls, and he had a minus 13. He did not look good. When I was watching the game, he did not look good at all. He looked like he was kind of lost in this. Like they During the season, I saw this some that basically like he was the main guy who was guarding Carl Anthony Towns. And I didn't like it then, and you know I assumed that it was going to change during this series, but like he should not be guarding him right now. He cannot like be on a guy who can rise and shoot the way that Carl Anthony Towns can. And you know, sure, Cat is not that athletic generally so he can't punish him as much but at the very least he can shoot over him and Stephen Adams just kind of looks like a shell of himself as he has for the last two or three seasons he's like a regular season guy he's yeah he not should not be playing guy. more than like 10 minutes in this series yeah now yeah I, I mean I agree I, I think that's a good point uh, I don't think he needs to be playing as much I think it, it is a little bit difficult because if you look at the rest of this team's roster let's be honest Carl Anthony Towns is a big boy right he, mm-hmm. he's, he's yes. what is he seven two maybe He's uh, like he's seven feet at least. Seven feet, at least seven feet, right? And I mean, I'm looking at the rest of you know this Memphis Grizzlies roster, and I know that they got some big guys. Jaron Jackson Jr. is a big guy, long guy, good defender, but mm. I don't think he matches Carl Anthony Towns' 250 pound frame. You know? Yeah, uh, he's in the Giannis and, role though. He's in the, yeah. he's like the rover shot blocker kind of guy because that's who he is. Yeah, exactly. And I mean. So I, I like Adams playing for, for certain spurts, not not for 24 minutes. You guys are fully right about that. He, it's way too much for him. Uh, but I like him playing for small amounts if, if you could put him in there for a couple minutes just to rough up Towns, right? Because mm-hmm. ta- you're right. Towns can stretch the floor. But I watched Towns baby Anthony Davis in certain games this year, and he just looked like he had no fear. And when Carl Anthony Towns does that, the only way I think you can really combat that is by being aggressive. And Anthony Davis is not about that because he knows he's going to get hurt. But Steven yes. Adams, you could put him in there for 10 minutes to rough a dude up, get a few fouls on him. Yeah, I was about to say, you just yeah. honestly put him in there expecting him to get three fouls in 12 minutes. 
Exactly, right. exactly. And, and just send that mental message, right? You know you know how people always say, you know, you give that hard foul so you know don't come in here like that again, right? Don't drive like that. Mm-hmm. Don't put, that type of thing, right? If Jaron Jackson's struggling in game, beat up in the post, you put Steven in for a couple minutes, say, hey, you can't just do that. And then you put Jackson back in just to hope it sent the message to Towns, I think. I think there's a different adjustment that I like. And obviously this is a move that I like because I've always loved the kid. Like people don't talk about it very much. Zion Williamson... A 30 PR basically is, is otherworldly whenever you get it. Uh, and Zion Williamson had like a 40 PR when he was in college. The guy who was second place and pretty clearly above everyone else was Brandon Clark. Brandon Clark, you know, I mean, he, look, he he's a 6'9 guy. He doesn't have the longest arms, but what he does have is like freakish athletic ability. And so that has helpful, obviously, on the offensive end where like he and John Morant, like as soon as basically he... I think they were drafted in the same year. As soon as he got to Memphis, they had like this great like one four, one five, however you want to call it, um, pick and roll game. But the thing about Brandon Clark is that like you throw, he was actually a plus two in this game. Kyle Anderson was a plus one. They played a combined forty seven minutes. Stephen Adams meanwhile played twenty four minutes. Was a minus thirteen. I think that like those guys, and also by the way, they picked up a combined three fouls while Adams had four. Those are the guys <laughs> who I want you throwing. On Steven Adams. Those are the, or sorry, are on Carlton Towns because those guys, you know, are better on offense. Slow Mo has like, Kyle Anderson has obviously like a weird kind of offensive game, but he does have a good one. And Brandon Clark, meanwhile, is the kind of athletic guy who can match the athleticism that Minnesota has basically everywhere else. And so I want to see them play a bunch more. Like, I want to see them basically like eat up the rest of Steven Adams' minutes. They can put enough hard fouls on him that you might need on Cat and like, they're both 6'9", whatever. He can shoot over them, but he's not a guy who tries to drive and tries to get to the basket, and those guys at the very least, like when a pick and roll happens, they're so much better in space than Steven Adams is, and they're so much better on the offensive end of the floor. They combined, they uh, scored a combined uh, 19 points on, let's see, on 80% shooting in this game. So I want to see much, much more of what they can do. And I'm just worried that uh, Taylor Jenkins is going to pull a butt and not make adjustments in general. Brandon Clark also had a 24 PER this year. Nobody likes, nobody wants to talk about that. Who was that? Brandon Clark. PER God. Yeah. And I mean, the other thing you said about those two guys is, which is a little bit overlooked is Anderson played less than Adams and had twice as many rebounds. Mm -hmm. Clark played three more minutes and had four times as many rebounds as Adam just for three more minutes. Like Steven Adam, if, if not offense, what do you have him in the game for is rebounding. Theoretically. Mm -hmm. That's what he would think. He had three rebounds, three rebounds in 24 minutes. That's really bad. What are you doing? Really bad. You're a big man. Okay. There's (laughs) point guards who do better than that. Come on. And Clark had four offensive rebounds with, and no one else on Memphis had more than one. Yeah. He just went six or seven from the field. Yes, he did. Listen, he shoots near the rim. That's basically all he does, but he's damn good at it. So I like. I would want to see a lot more of him. I love myself some Brandon Clark. Personally. Listen, Stephen Curry had as many rebounds off the bench in his 22 minutes as <laughs> Stephen Adams did in 24 minutes. They both had three rebounds. Yeah. What are you doing, Stephen? Wait a second. Am I looking at this correctly? Yes. Stephen Adams genuinely had three rebounds. No, uh, no. Okay, I wasn't looking at it correctly. I For a second, I thought that all of Brandon Clark's field goal Field goals have been assisted on. But no, that's just his threes. <laughs> okay. But he is that kind of guy. I mean, like, he's maybe got one or two posts. I, I should uh, correct myself. There's one other thing that I noticed. And it was it's not that Jaw was guarding Anthony Edwards. It's that 
uh, Desmond Bain was guarding Anthony Edwards. As much as you might like that kind of matchup, there was talk uh, when he was drafted that like the reason this guy might not be an amazing 3 and D player, even though he plays tough, is that his arms aren't the longest. Yeah, and he's hurts. also not that big. Yeah, that hurts against like super athletic guys like Anthony Edwards. Dylan Brooks, who's the best defender on Memphis, didn't even play in any of the games that they had against Minnesota. I was kind of weirded out that there basically was no Dylan Brooks on um, Anthony Edwards. Because Dylan Brooks guarded D'Angelo Russell, and D'Angelo Russell went 2 of 11. So he did He did pick up 5,000. Jaron Jackson Jr. also didn't play that much because he picked up 5,000 as well. That's a problem with him. But um, I would like to see you know a little more Dylan Brooks on Anthony Edwards, and maybe they can slow down the guy who got 36 points and 23 shots and went 8 of 8 from the free throw line. And I think, did he lead the game? In, no, D'Angelo Russell. Uh, led the game in assists, but like Anthony Edwards looked genuinely terrific. All right. What other series do you guys want to talk about? Like those are the three that I was paying attention to the most, but uh, what have you guys also been watching? Um, Eric? Didn't, didn't we like, <sighs> what we, we said that we might talk about Dallas, Utah. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Dallas, Utah. All right. I mean, let's talk about Dallas. Utah, obviously though. there's a lot of asterisks, you know? But yes. I mean, Luca's not playing. He's not playing. He's probably not going to play this series. I think he'll be back. He <laughs> said he could barely jump. Oh, I don't know about that. He can barely I don't jump know. as is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, so it sounds like he's fully healthy then. <laughs> yeah, so should we be talking about uh, Maxi Kleba, three-point god? Oh, Jalen Brunson, absolute it, legend. Yeah, I've heard so much about this Maxi Kleba three-point guard. Yeah, the man had a good game. Jalen Brunson dropped 41 over here. Come on. Why are we talking about Maxi Kleba? I, I would say it's like this two-man thing, personally. Like, so, Listen, Maxi Kleba yeah. still has a negative plus-minus on the series. Still. Oh, my goodness. Still. Despite that, he's still well, minus 6.5 on average. Okay, but what did he do What did he do last night? What was his plus-minus? Uh, I don't know. I don't that. He was a zero. Oh, Lord. Yep, oh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Okay. Stop. Meanwhile, it. Brunson was a plus 15. Reggie Bullock and, Don- and Dorian Finney-Smith were plus 13 and 12. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And Davis Bertans was terrible. Now, here's but, my question. Yeah. Is this not one of the best defensive teams in the league every year? The Utah Jazz? Yes. Yeah. It is one of the best defensive teams in the regular season every year. Yeah. And look at the box score. Who are these guys scoring on them? Yeah, Jaylen no, I can, I can tell you they had among playoff teams, they were middle of the pack in points allowed. They're mm-hmm. middle of the pack in defensive rating. They are middle of the pack in effective field goal percentage um, defensively. And they're la- dead last in forcing turnovers. Right. The reason why they're so bad, in my opinion, is because Rudy Gobert is their only uh, plus defender in their starting lineup. Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neal, sorry to the Royce O'Neal stands out there, which I am one of them. Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley have been horrendous on defense. Like Daniel House, by the way, I should mention Daniel House Jr. and Juancho Hernan Gomez were a plus 17 and a plus 14, respectively. Juancho Hernan Gomez was a plus 14 in seven minutes, seven minutes of game time. Those guys are really good defenders. And, you know, all you need to do it be is a good defender to beat Dallas's guys who are terrible on offense. But this is why I thought Kleba did so well. And correct me if you think I'm wrong. But um, the reason Brunson was doing well and was able to get to the rim a lot of times like he was is because, as happens every single time to Rudy Gobert in the playoffs, all you have to do is play five out. And if you have a big man who can actually shoot the ball or, you know, just not play a big man at all and you have five shooters... 
He becomes ineffective. There's no reason for having Rudy Gobert. He, as much as he may have improved like a little bit at like defending guys one on one, he's not nearly there, and he's kind of useless. He's not. He's he's a, a zero on offense basically. And so Kleba shooting like that just made him totally irrelevant. Made him have to go out to the three point line to defend him, and then Dallas could do whatever it wanted. Here, here's an interesting thing. Maxi Kleba is literally today's NBA. Yeah, he seventy two percent of his field goal attempts are from three. Mm-hmm. Sixteen are from zero to three feet, and the remaining ten percent is from somewhere in between. Gotcha. Now I'm going to read you an interesting stat too, interesting. because Very this interesting. has to do yeah. with what you just said, Chaim. Yeah. Okay. So some of the best big man guard duos in the NBA. Ready? Mm-hmm. Booker to Aiton. Okay. Mm-hmm. Three hundred sixty one assists. Tatum to Robert Williams, 228 assists. Guard, Tatum, mm. right. five, five. No, he, he said assist to big man. Assist okay. to big man, yeah. Trey to Clint Capella, 152 assists, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, those are all assists, not passes, assists. Where the guy he, scored. Yeah. Yes. J- just, just specifically when he scores. The number of passes, not assists passes that Joe Ingles has to Rudy Gobert is 174 when he tore his ACL two months ago. Wow. Donovan Mitchell, as of April 3rd, had 151 passes. Oh my God. Yeah, they, they, don't, than, they don't like each other. They don't like each other. Less than two <laughs> passes per game to your seven-footer who plays a lot. Yeah, who played so, 37 so minutes I in this game. That does that a lot? Gobert has like a very limited offensive role. But yeah. part of me questions whether that's necessarily all Gobert's fault. Because when you're that tall, you got to do something. And they just don't want to give this man the ball. He, and it's funny because if you look at the reverse, I think Gobert has like 30 passes a game or something to Donovan Mitchell. Oh, my God. But he gets like two times a game. So, like, uh, it's just a funny stat, obviously. But it's also like, as you know, you could use this guy more in the offense, you know. Gobert also shot once in game one. Mm-hmm. Shot five times in game two. Meanwhile, Donovan Mitchell had 30 shots in game two. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying, like, is it Gobert? Or do we think that maybe Quinn Snyder's got to come in here and say, okay, maybe we should use this guy a little bit, you know, which is going to hurt Donovan Mitchell's feelings. Do you want to say that type thing? But, you know, if Gobert's not going to get the ball, you know, I can't put the blame on him offensively. This is kind of like an amazing series to think about from that perspective, then. Because, like, yeah, people have been saying this all season long. Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert's relationship, the one that had been broken, that had since been repaired, is now fully broken again. Like, yeah. Knicks fans are salivating at the thought of just, like, landing Mitchell in a trade somehow, which, like, actually seems possible. He hates Gobert. I don't really don't know why. <laughs> yeah, Dallas also <laughs> only had him. two Dallas only had two offensive rebounds in a win oh my against God. Utah. Yeah. Utah had, you know, decent amount of offensive rebounds. They had 11. But it didn't matter. Like, Dallas... I'm looking at the guys who they played, and you know I don't know how tall Dwight Powell is, but I, if I remember, he's, correctly, large, he's like a I short think. center. He's like a. No, I think he's large. Oh, he's seven feet. Six ten. Okay, six ten. Yeah. All right, Rudy Gobert is like seven foot two. I should mention yeah. Maxi Kleba is not remotely a center, and that's basically everyone they had who was remotely tall. Like Reggie and even Bullock Powell and, didn't play a lot. Maxi Kleba yeah. and so like, Dwight Powell yeah. are the same size, exactly the same size. Six yeah. ten, two forty. They don't care about it. So like. It's basically a team that has decided, all right, you know what? We're going to exploit the hell out of the fact that, yes, like you were saying, Eric, Donovan Mitchell is not going to pass the ball to Rudy Gobert. They're basically just going to be shooting the ball a lot from, you know, Jordan Clarkson, 
from uh, Bogdanovich, who did a very good job, you know, in game one. But um, and obviously Donovan Mitchell is going to shoot a ton. And then meanwhile, if they're not going to punish us, if they are not going to use a big man to punish us on the offensive end because they don't really have a big man who has the ability to do that. It's not like Royce O'Neal is going to do that if, if Rudy Gobert isn't is never getting the ball to do it. And we can just play all of our shitty defenders and just go for it. Like, no one has to, you know, do anything really in the post. As long as we, like, front a little bit, Donovan Mitchell isn't gonna even going to look twice at Rudy Gobert, and they're going to lose the basketball game, even though they're clearly the much more talented team than us. Yeah, so, I think they said it best. Yeah. Yeah, they're Props not punishing Kidd. them. That's that's the best way to put it. If you're not punishing them, why not? Yeah, that's that's a real problem. Like Jason Kidd is coaching well, and and my I know you're saying like Quinn Snyder should talk to Don Mitchell and be like that, but like I bet he has. I bet there's the nothing other, he the other can option do about is it. to just not play Rudy Gobert because there's there's an upside to that as well. You don't have to have a like absolute <laughs> dead weight on offense. <laughs> play Daniel House more too. The guy can't handle the, the ball. The entire offense, bench, really. the, really like the entire bench was defense. plus double basically yeah it's like sure they got the playoffs by sheer talent you know and obviously Rudy Gobert is a good regular season player good enough regular season player that like they can win enough games Donovan Mitchell obviously is a terrific scorer in general but yeah I don't see how I don't know Mike Conley is shot 0 for 7 in this game he's not remotely the same player that he used to be whether it's on defense or on offense so like you don't have a lot of passing ability since Ingles is injured and is not coming through that door like, we saw game one, right? And we were like, oh, well, you know, Dallas is kind of screwed without Luka. And now it seems like whatever the Jazz do, they're just absolutely toast. So that series just turned very, very quickly into we thought it was going to be one way, but actually it's the other way. Dallas isn't even playing well. Yeah. It's like, I think that's the whole point of what we're well, trying to say is well, Dallas is not playing Jaylen well. Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleba obviously played terrifically. But. Yeah, but like, I mean, in terms of like stats on a page like nothing is jumping out of you saying they should be winning yes nothing yeah, aside like, from the three-pointers last last game yeah obviously they shot 46 percent from three on 47 threes so that's gonna do it every time especially when your opponent is only shoot is shooting fewer than 30 threes um all right eric do you have any more thoughts on this series no i agree i mean i i think that uh you know I'd still give the edge to Utah because, as we said, Dallas didn't play particularly great in the win last night. It's not like they won by that much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm still giving them the edge until Luka comes back. But every game that they allow Dallas to float around and hang in there is just a game that's getting worse for Utah. Like if this series, I'm not gonna say I'm picking Dallas to come back down three one, but if Luka comes back two one, much less two two, is there anyone who's not picking Dallas? Yeah, I agree with you there. All right. Um, is there another series that you want to talk about, or should we get into more playoff predictions at large? I I, I think just playoff predictions. Are we, did you want to talk about, say, Milwaukee versus Chicago? or uh, Probably not the 1-8 games, but maybe Toronto versus Philly? Or are you kind of not uh, interested Toronto in Toronto versus Philly is the one. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's 4-5, and it's going to be 4-0. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, maybe F- Phoenix-New Orleans might be the worser series of, of those too but uh i think atlanta might have a fighter's chance because but yeah i i think that the rest are all pretty self-explanatory even milwaukee chicago chicago's done i mean yeah uh, it, it seemed like you, toronto had yeah what were you gonna say did you see the stat during the year it was like against each of the top three seeds in each conference chicago was like one in 17 or something like that during the regular season. i don't know if that's the exact number but something like that yeah that was sound, i i think i saw something similar where basically yeah chicago 
It was not built to be top teams. Like, yeah. I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Chicago Bulls, the simple rating system on basketball reference, which is, quote, a team rating that takes into account average point differential and strength of schedule. If zero is average, they were negative 0.38. Oh, my everybody, God. Every, everybody above them was above two, some <laughs> above five. Who were in the playoffs, I mean? Oh, here. Yes. Yeah, I, I got the exact one, too. They were 42-14 and 14 against the NBA, everyone except for six teams. Against the Heat, Sixers, Bucks, Warriors, Grizzlies, and Suns, so top three in each one, they were 0-16. Oh, my God. Well, probably going to end up being 0-20 by uh, the end of this week or end of next the week. The Rockets so, and yeah. Magic both had better records against the top three teams from each conference. Good lord! And this, oh, this they, was not, not a good Rockets team, as I was unfortunately yeah, witnessed. They, they, they were bottom in the NBA against the top three teams from each conference. Thirtieth in the NBA. So, aside from the Pelicans, are the only one with a with a negative SRS. Wow, it's uh, and, so not yeah. looking too promising for Chicago. <laughs> no, they did lock down defensively, like to to a pretty good degree. But I also think that uh, Milwaukee is not quite as generally they're not quite as talented as like. They were last year, but if basically you need Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who have not looked right all season, really, to uh, be at the top of their games, which basically you're hoping that in the 3-4 series, which they're probably going to do against Philly. Let's get into predictions, which I think that's a re- relatively easy prediction to make, that Milwaukee is going to play Philly uh, in the next round. Oh, no, sorry. They're not playing Philly. Milwaukee's going to play... Um, well, they're, they would... Does the NBA still do it as like uh, separate no, it, brackets, no. or is it reseeding? Or no, 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 separate, separate. It's not yeah. Oh, so yeah. separate brackets. So no matter what they're, they're, they're playing, the winner of Boston Brooklyn. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yeah. So against either of those two teams, and you know, I don't know if that series is a toss-up. Maybe I give like a sixty-forty edge to the Celtics, but um, both of those teams are obviously really terrific. I think that might uh, almost be like a. You know, it might like, be the finals. Yeah, that honestly. might that, that basically could be like the matchup between the two best teams, like Milwaukee versus Brooklyn. Are we obviously, counting out Miami though, like, kind of was that. Like, well, I think yeah. Miami is a good team. I don't think yeah. Miami's an amazing team. Phoenix is the best team in basketball, in my opinion. I think that kind of goes without saying. But uh, I think there's Phoenix probably. The I think I would say there's th- three, maybe four teams that I could realistically see winning the title this year. I see, I, I see, I see probably four too, yeah. Suns, Warriors, and one or two from the East, and one of them is the Celtics. And I hate saying that, but I think it's true. Biased. I think you're right. <laughs> I well, I'm picked like... the Lakers, and... Um... <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers and who? Rockets, obviously. <laughs> All right, cool, no, you I, got? I, I would agree with the Celtics and Warriors, uh, I'd give Dallas a fighting chance if Luka came back and was healthy, but I, I don't think you could make that assumption, mm-hmm. uh, at least not 100%. So I would say Phoenix and Golden State are my only two legitimate contenders in the West. Uh, and I think uh, – I do think I agree completely with what you said. The winner of the Boston-Brooklyn versus the Bucks, I think, is going to represent the East. I'm not trying to eliminate the uh, the – heat like that but I, I personally i think that if i'm being honest I, i'm picking the bucks to come out of the east again um because i think that they do sweep chicago maybe five won them i think mm-hmm. this boston brooklyn series just not even i, I think it's gonna go at least six games possibly seven yeah and i think yeah that every and i think that might is, wear them out for and i think every game is going to be that scrappy game like that like, that yeah. we've been seeing in game one and i think that gives milwaukee a major advantage obviously um, so that's the only reason why, like if they, if they met them in the semifinals, 
I would say differently. Like if Milwaukee was the four seed and met up, you know, in the semifinal. But I think because yeah. that that you get them right off the scrappiness is a big advantage for the Bucks. Um, and that's why they're my they might go to in the East. Now, do we think in terms of assuming Miami and Philadelphia are the matchup in the next round? Yes. How much does that matter and how much who are you picking what, in that series in the first place? What? In, oh, I, I in the I Miami no versus Philly series. That's yeah. Well, that's what I'm. That's what I'm asking. Like, that's actually kind of like a tough, tough pick there. I feel. So I, I feel like if if I had to lean one, I'm leaning Philly. Yeah. Um. And Historically, leaning, I can't. Historically, leaning, I can't I see them winning I, I, winning I, two I, playoff series. I, I get that. Uh, I'm leaning Philly because two reasons. First of all, I think that. I always tend to give the edge to the best player in basketball on the court. Mm-hmm. And I think that Abid is the most dominant player on the court there. Yes. Um, and I would argue that they might have the second best player on the court as well with James Harden. Um, Tyrese Maxey is who I thought you were going to say. Depending on which James Harden <laughs> we get, I think Tyrese Maxey is an X factor for Philly as well because Miami yeah. just has so many guys. But as mm-hmm. great as Bam is, I, I don't know if Bam's slowing down Embiid. Um, and I think Harden just gives so much spacing. As long, as, but my big thing is the only way I'm putting Philly above is if we get somewhat competent James Harden, not four for fifteen James Harden. Someone the other day on a Get Up said that James Harden's uh, shot percentage of the last month, he's like four for fourteen, five for seventeen. They look like concert tour dates. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go, June. Third, six for twenty-three. <laughs> like that. As Don't long as we get away 11. from, the, as long as we get away from the tour dates, then then I'm giving it to Philly. Yeah, I the thing that I worry about with uh, Miami is I think that they're like the perfectly matched up team to take on uh, Milwaukee. I, I agree. think that like if they play Milwaukee in a series, that's a tough series because like right. Jimmy Bam Butler, can, Bam can yeah. match Giannis much better than Bam can match match uh, Embiid. And, like, P.J. Tucker is the perfect guy who you want to have on, like, Brooke Lopez or something like that. You're going to take Brooke Lopez out of the series if you do, if you, like, uh, <laughs> are putting P.J. Tucker out there. And, like, Jimmy Butler is probably a better player than Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday and can at least challenge him. Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson are going to be pulling them all over. Kyle Lowry is, like, the kind of point guard who Milwaukee doesn't have. That's a Listen, real interesting series. As a Lakers fan, if that happened, I would be very happy if Miami won. Because yeah. now, all of a sudden, you might get some validation of our uh, 2019 championship or 2020. Oh, my God. That Heat team was so much fun. I think that that championship no, it wasn't was totally that. valid. They, had, they beat the Celtics. It was, it, they weren't fun. <laughs> no, no. That I was thought that, that Heat team, team was very deserving of, the, of being in the championship. I think that, yeah. obviously, you had the injury to Drogic and to Bam with the shoulder. That yeah. really – that – I understand the question mark, but at least a lot of people say they shouldn't have been in the championship. And I'm like, they, when they were healthy, they beat the Bucks and Celtics. Yeah. And I disagree. And also like that Lakers team, if AD is shooting that well and is that healthy, then I don't know how anyone in basketball could have stopped. I don't know how anyone this team this year could have stopped them almost. So I, as much as that is, you know, a bubble championship or something, LeBron and AD deserves props for that. But anyway, we're talking about this year. Um <laughs> I think uh, Boston is sort of like a really scary team for Miami to go against. I think Philly is a weird matchup for Miami to go against because, I mean, yeah, they're the one seeds. They'll show them a little bit of respect, but like, I don't know who's guarding who. I mean, there's that four one seeds in, in the East. Yeah. And the one of them is a, well, there's also a seven seed who deserves to at least be like, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, Miami versus, uh, Milwaukee is the only way I can see like, oh, maybe, you know, uh, Milwaukee is not just, you know, coasting to the championship, like 
to the NBA championship like we thought they might, at least coming out of the East. That's why I really like Boston, like you do, Sam. And so, like, uh, I didn't say I really like Boston. That, oh, that, you that, didn't? That's not, not a so, quote. Sam, nope. unlike you, Sam, I really like Boston. Uh, Are I you think, picking Boston to beat Brooklyn then, Chaim? Like I said, I think they have a 60-40 shot. But I think they have a better shot against everyone else because I think that Robert Williams probably comes back, not for Alex, this series, but for the following series. And that. with that, that they and Sam was talking about this like at the beginning before the podcast started. Like they and Phoenix have the two best like, net ratings basically in the league, like Pythagorean uh, win loss records. So can I they, get can I can I hear you say that you think that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving will be eliminated in the first round? Can you go ahead and say that for me? Uh, I think that there is a sixty percent chance that Kyrie Irving <laughs> and Kevin Durant will be eliminated in the first round. Stick I'm going to put a number 60%. on it. <laughs> Let's see if see what five thirty eight thinks of your number. They love Boston. They've loved Boston like they always love Boston, just because. Yeah, yeah. They have the Celtics thirty four percent winning the finals. <laughs> of course, they, they have eighty nine eighty nine percent getting to the next round. Oh my god, oh, well, wow. five thirty eight. Oh. As much as you love them, they. I don't know why they love Tatum and Brown like so much or just <laughs> their whatever. E, their Elo forecast gives them a forty four percent chance of winning the finals. Oh my god! Yeah, so they have to it do, gives like, the Nets a point three percent chance. <laughs> God, we're talking about a first-round team, and you're you're over here giving them a almost a fifty percent coin flip over here. To... <laughs> yeah. Oh my! Anyway, Phoenix the, is the best team. That though. basically means they're already in the finals, and they just have to win it, right? Fifty percent, you know, coin flip. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, they give they in the Raptors win the East. They, um, forty-nine. It's a coin flip, forty-nine percent. Oh, so they basically like have. An unbel- a great chance to win against any team from uh, the West. They're just not like the Suns. Uh, no, the Suns are forty-seven percent chance to get there. Okay, but they're that only twenty-three to win. That's wild. Oh my god, that is really wild. They have tw- like a sixty-seven percent chance for the Celtics to beat the Suns. Is nuts. Anyway, the Suns should be. I'm saying it with the Chris Paul. It's a Chris Paul team. It's a Chris Paul team. <laughs> they should be the favorites to win the title. At the very least, like I would put it in terms of. It's Phoenix versus the field. That's what I've been looking at, like in the last, I don't know, like few weeks or something like that. Just looking at the playoffs, and I still don't see that changing very much. Unless I don't know, Zion comes back and decides that like he's going to score forty a game, which like could he won't, but I, I'm sure he could if he really, really put his mind to it. Also, yeah. they wouldn't have to face Golden State until the conference finals. That's true. They would be playing the winner of Dallas Memphis and Minnesota. Utah. No, no Ma- Dallas Memphis versus Utah. Utah. Dallas, no, Utah man, would man. be Phoenix. Oh, oh, yeah, Phoenix. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. And unless Dallas has a fully healthy, fully healthy Luca, I don't see that series as being competitive. Because and like I don't know, been talking about we like we talk about which matchups are good and whatnot, and like which teams can exploit what stuff. The best part about Phoenix is that they have made themselves really, really, really difficult to exploit because they, they're they there because like, they're a Chris Paul led team. They are inherently smart. Yeah, and they play a full like one through five. Everyone fits at their position really, really well. And like they're they're players who like you maybe last year were unsure, you know, if they're gonna be consistent and like show up in the big moments like Devin Booker, Miles Bridges, or uh, Mikhail Bridges, sorry. Those guys have really, really become good this year. Like Mikhail Bridges being like a, a contender for defensive player of the year and Devin Booker like getting MVP hype, even with Chris Paul missing a ton of time. So I love this Phoenix team. And I really hope they don't like losing the conference finals to Minnesota or something. Cause that would be really embarrassing. <laughs> um, I don't know. Arik, what do you think? If you had to pick a, a finals winner right now, or at the very least a finals matchup, 
what, uh, what are you projecting? If I had to pick a finals matchup right now, yeah, pick this. Why don't you just pick this bracket and then we'll. Like, I, I'm, I'm, pick, I'm picking the Bucks. <laughs> the, I, I am picking the Bucks. They're they're going to be my favorite out of the East for sure. Yeah, uh, other because I I see them beating unfortunately Boston Brooklyn either way um, because mm-hmm. that bugged me. So I'm picking the Bucks. I see a chance they get knocked out by Miami. I do agree with your analysis about that, but I'm still picking the Bucks because there's a 50 50 shot Miami gets by Philly, right? Um, and Golden State Phoenix. Uh, I would 100 percent take Phoenix. I don't know. That's too high, Sam. That's too high. Listen, we we see oh, that. Oh, we sorry. see I, the I new, would probably like 68 percent take here. Phoenix. The new yeah, death the new line death line back. Can um, Aiden? What does Aiden do against that? That's that what. what I, yeah. that's what I'm leaning. I'm sitting here going, "What is and Aiden?" There's always do? the Chris Paul factor as well. True, like, but that. But if you're going to mention the Chris Paul factor, you have to mention the Jim other Chris Paul factor. He yes. may not be. He may not be playing. Right. He might have a hamstring or a broken hand or a hurt thumb or that, stomach. That ache. could be the best thing for them. Then. Oh uh, no 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 no. I don't know about that. I disagree. What do you mean? Get the no, curse I out. No, I disagree. No, 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 no. You know what? I... You don't want to see. You, you don't want to see Cameron Payne run that offense. <laughs> I do like the campaign. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Memphis versus Golden State because I don't want to, I don't want to be cliche with the rematch. I'm going Memphis. I'm going Milwaukee Golden State. Sorry, um, Milwaukee Golden State. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think this is a matchup that like didn't it like that's a wild was, matchup. There, no, it was an over overlap of like NBA powers. Yeah, that's true. Milwaukee of like the last couple of years, Golden State before that, and Arik. This is why I think that's a, such an interesting matchup because like I was thinking about this when we were talking about the new death lineup before. Isn't Giannis the perfect guy to defend against that death lineup? And hasn't having like Andrew Chris Holiday Middleton and Chris and Middleton Holiday, like the yeah. perfect way yeah. to yeah. stop that death lineup. Yeah, you, you got to take Lopez out. And you kind of miss P.J. Yeah. Tucker, I think, a bit from Milwaukee yeah. from last year. You definitely miss him. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I, I think that, that that becomes one of, I mean, the best on paper matchups you could create for a finals, you know? I mean, the, so, the Bucks have uh, just, like, shot blockers off the bench for day. They got Ibaka, Portis. And, I mean, Aiton versus Giannis. Oh, sorry, not Aiton. Uh, and uh, Draymond versus Giannis would be interesting. I mean, I think that that's a big advantage for Giannis. But, I mean, at the same time, do you ever count Draymond out? You know he'll be up to the task. So, yeah, And they have Bobby Portis to a lot of fouls. one part of the Draymond energy and then Drew Holiday to bring the other part of the Draymond energy. Yeah, And, obviously, it's contingent upon, you know, them beating the Suns. And Jordan Poole's got to continue to play well. But I, mm-hmm. I would love to see that matchup. I also partially think that Golden State will have an easier time with either Memphis, Minnesota than Phoenix may have with Dallas if Dallas gets Luka, which is mm-hmm. what I would assume if they're going to win the series, or if they get Utah. Uh, I just think that Utah and Dallas are both better than Memphis, Minnesota, um, at least at this stage. Uh, obviously, it's only one game sample. I'm not trying to a, – a slight overreaction, I guess, from Memphis, but, you know. Yeah. I think, again, I think it's a little bit easier for Golden State to get to the semifinals um, with how easily they're beating up on Denver right now. So mm-hmm. that, that's my logic. I'm going with the ease of schedule to the finals. That's, yeah, that's basically what I would, yeah, Like the probability that you get there basically is yeah. a little better. Much better uh, on the bottom half. Right. I did like Memphis against Golden State this year. I will say that much. Um, but not everyone was healthy in a lot of the games. Uh, I think Ja is the kind of guy who can really give everyone on Golden State trouble because. There's no one in Denver who has like anything remotely like Jaws' athleticism and just the athleticism of guys 
could be trouble for Golden State, which is not full of athletic guys. It's full of guys like you know with toughness and who can shoot the hell out of the ball. So yeah. that's why I think the Grizzlies have been a really good match uh, for Golden State, at least. What so percentage far are they saying on that website that Memphis uh, gets past Minnesota? Oh yeah, forty-seven percent. Yeah, I was gonna say wow. I saw I saw the odds oh drop to about a fifty-fifty shot on uh, on betting I mean, sites. You so. have to take into account that they are down at one. Yeah, and at they home. lost on the road at as home. well. Or at home, at home, yeah, yeah. Interesting. So, so I mean, I like so that's what I'm saying. How, how, how do you change it, Golden State versus like you're assuming Golden State Memphis? What if it's Golden State right. Minnesota? Then what? Then what are you assuming? You're right, and then in a series like that, is like as much as Patrick Beverly is gonna bother guys, like. Oh, he's getting toasted in space. As they're 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 not hanging on to it. Carl Anthony yeah, Towns exactly. is going to be like hating Draymond Green so much by the end of it. Yeah, but that'll know, be yeah. interesting. That's a big that's a big matchup. Yeah. Towns has a major advantage against Golden State's lack of size. Right, um, but you would think Jokic does too, and yet Draymond Green is like that's true. doing that's everything valid. he can. Although Towns is, Towns is taller and longer, but yeah, I agree. That that's very valid. That's true. The well, yeah, the so. one thing Jokic has been able to do is shoot over Draymond, and he just hasn't been hitting his shots. Is the problem? So Towns could do that. And right. and again, you you mentioned about Edwards and his you know build that could also bother some people in Golden State. You know, yeah, Jordan Pools and they, Steph Curry just, are getting bowled over have, by that. They have more offensive weapons on Minnesota than Denver, which is unfortunate because Denver, when healthy, is obviously great. But you know, yeah, it's as we said, it's just Jokic. Minnesota, you look at you look, it could be Russell, it could be Edwards, it could be Towns. Like there's just more mm-hmm. options, I think. Jamal Murray scored fifty in a playoff game. Yeah. Maybe in multiple playoff games, if I remember correctly. Was he the but, back-to-back uh, one? Or was that him, then Mitchell, or something like that? I don't know. I don't yeah, like that. him and Mitchell went for 50 and 50 yeah. against each other. That was a great series. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I agree. Sam, any closing thoughts? Uh, how does it feel having uh, me pick the Celtics to be in the finals? It feels like a kiss of death, not going to lie. <laughs> <All right. laughs> My predictions are pretty often right. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Well, guys, if I if we come back here and uh, you know it's Milwaukee versus Golden State in a few weeks, I'm just saying after winning the March Madness bracket, we'll have to have you on again. I mean, come on, guys. Yeah, if, if if that happens, we'll have you. We'll absolutely have you back on, and we probably will at some point, regardless. But it's always fun talking NBA with you, especially NBA playoffs. Uh, right. And very much appreciate your takes, even if there is a little Lakers bias, even the wrong ones. Too. Oh, yeah. it's much easier. There's no bias when he's not in the playoffs, right? So, you know, yeah. we got me on a good year. <laughs> All right, Eric, last question. And this is just a look ahead to the draft. But who's your guy to go number one? Jabari, Chet, or Paolo? It, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for development, I, I think there's some truth to you can't coach size. But I think mm-hmm. that Chet saw a lot more weaknesses in his game. So I, 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 kind of, I, I don't know as much about Jabari. I didn't see Jabari as much, but... Uh, I would pick Paolo over Chet um, mm-hmm. if you're if you're looking for like the the ready now player, right? The the guy yeah. who's going to come in and ball out. Um, but I don't think that's always necessarily what everyone wants, right? You know, I think when Jordan Poole was selected, I don't think anyone expected him to be ready for the NBA this quickly. You know, everyone he knew he'd be a good player. Season. But but yeah, but I mean, the the level he's playing at now, he's yeah. playing at the same level as the other the top guys in his draft, the top you know two, three, right. four picks. You know. Um, so I think it just depends on what you're looking for, how good of a development. Who has the first pick this year? Uh, obviously, it it's a lot of it. Who's good? The Magic, be? Magic, and Rockets have the best odds, but you know that's only like thirteen percent odds each. So, so like if you're the if you're the again, obviously, then it depends on your team. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if you're the you know the Rockets, maybe you take a gamble on Chet because you you've been good developing some of the younger guys, right? You yeah. Know? 
Jalen Green's had a really good year. You know, you know, I think you have a little bit more leeway and say, okay, we're good at developing guys. If you're Orlando, I think you're like, we suck at developing guys. <laughs> we're getting someone who's a proven guy like Jabari or Paolo. So. Yeah. Orlando's been feisty this year with a bunch of cast-offs from other teams, which I've kind of loved. Like yeah. Wendell Carter Jr. has been really good for them. Markel Fultz has been really good for them. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what Orlando's going to look like. They, they're they a weird team. They're a really strange uh, team. Well, they got uh, half the German national team playing for them, too, with uh, the two Wagner brothers. Oh, yeah. Ignaz Brasdegas. Oh, my God. Yeah, Franz <laughs> Wagner. What a great pick. Oh, my God. Yeah, I like him a lot. I mean, he looks, he makes his brother look horrible, but. <laughs> yeah, well, his brother just kind of sucks. <laughs> All right. Arik, thank you so much for coming on and uh, really appreciate it. Of and, course, you know, guys. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. And go Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> I, won't, I won't go that far. I won't go that far. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Same.